point of clarification here on uh, things. We've got a water baptism scheduled tomorrow night, Monday night, in the, uh, in the bulletin it read Tuesday night. So to both of you who read the bulletin and uh, brought that to our attention, we thank you for that. It is not Tuesday, it is Monday night, tomorrow night. So um, uh, uh, we'll look forward to you being a part of that uh, tomorrow evening. Already announced it this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 28. Sunday nights we make our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and we uh, pick things up tonight in chapter 28 and having uh, had a break from it for a number of weeks here with the impact classes, I think a little bit of a recap is important. Remember that our good friend Moses at this point in time is up on Mount Sinai meeting with the Lord and the Lord is revealing to him uh, the dimensions and everything that's needed for the construction of the tabernacle where God has chosen to meet with the children of Israel in a relationship uh, with them. He's also uh, going to give them, as, as we head in tonight, speak to them about the office of a priesthood that God wants to establish as a part of the worship of Him and uh, the clothing related to the priests and uh, sacrifice, sacrificial system and all. So that's what is, is going on and where Moses is and he's being informed of it. All of this will be built and put into place uh, subsequently. T tonight, uh, having uh, finished his instructions to Moses uh, regarding the building of, of the tabernacle, the Lord now moves on to give Moses instruction concerning the priests who would then minister at the tabernacle. I think a good place to begin in, uh, in this discussion related to the priests is to ask ourselves why in the world did God establish a priestly system at all? Uh, there could have been many, many ways that he could have established as a means by which he would uh, communicate to his people, a means by which he would establish a relationship with his people, a means by which he would be able to uh, kind of uh, live and dwell with his people. Why did he establish a system based upon priests? And principally a high priest surrounded by uh, regular uh, priests. Uh, as he established the, the uh, uh, high priest there through, through Aaron and through uh, his descendants and then, uh, then the only one high priest and then the priesthood coming from his, his four uh, sons. And really it gets narrowed down to two sons, but I get ahead of myself a little bit. And the reason that God established this whole priesthood system, I'm convinced, and I'm, surely I wouldn't be alone in this, is uh, this law that God gives to Moses, he gives it to Moses 1,500 years before Jesus is born into the world for his incarnation. So he establishes a priesthood among the children of Israel and one great high priest and he sets him up as an example to the entire nation for 1,500 years. And what he's communicating through that high priest, it, because the responsibility of that high priest was he was the one, one person supremely among all of the nation of Israel 
who performed the twofold function of the priest, and that was to represent God before the people so that when people would look at him, they would have a proper representation of God, and then to present the people before God through intercession. And he was planting this idea over and over and over again, year in and year out, day in and day out, this idea that God establishes a relationship with man through a mediator, through a mediator of his choosing. So that, 1,500 years later, when Jesus shows up on the scene and he declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes unto the Father but by him, there shouldn't have been a single Jew that squawked at it. Nobody should have complained about a narrow way, a narrow priesthood, a one supreme representative of God in their midst. This is something they were familiar with for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of years. Now, chapter 28 uh, describes the specific and unique garments that the priests are, uh, are going to wear, that the high priest principally was going to wear in the performance of his duties and his responsibilities. There are eight of them, the ephod, the breastplate, the urim and the thummim, the robe of the ephod, the engraved plate made of gold, uh, a linen tunic, a turban, and a sash. And the reason that God caused the high priest to be dressed in this way, very, very colorful, very, very beautiful, very, very unusual, was so that the high priest would stand out from everyone else, so that he would be recognized as being extraordinarily holy among God's people who were to be a holy people uh, themselves. So when God gives all of these uh, different parts of this kind of um, adornment or, or apparel or outfit that the priest is going to wear? Or isn't God saying, let's dress him in something kind of quirky? Uh, everything about the, uh, the clothing and, and the vestments that the priest wore, every single one of them was given to the priest because it speaks specifically of Jesus in some significant way. It was communicating to the nation for 1,500 years before Messiah ever came about the promised Messiah who would come and uh, the characteristics that he would have that would be right in line with the adornments of, of the priests. I mean, if anyone in the whole world ought to have recognized Jesus as the Messiah, it ought to have been the high priest at the time that he came. Everything he wore... Uh, spoke of Christ and was a picture uh, of Christ. So the whole Old Testament, as we've seen before, it speaks of Jesus. Jesus spoke to the religious leaders of the day when they were confronting him and rejecting him and, and all. And he said, you search the scriptures, speaking of the Old Testament scriptures, for in them, uh, you know, you think you have everlasting life, but these are they which testify of me. Everything in the Old Testament speaks of uh, of Jesus. The very existence of one great single high priest in their history representing God to the people, representing the people uh, to God in, in prayer was to prepare them for the coming of, of the Messiah. Jesus, the greater representing of God to the man. He's uh, to God, uh, representing God to man. Remember what he said to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> no high priest could say that. I mean, he took the symbol of what the high priest was and took it off into the nth uh, degree. In terms of representing man before God in prayer, I mean the Bible teaches us related to Jesus that he ever lives to make intercession. Day and night, 
One of the most comforting things for me in my entire Christian life is to know that he never ceases to pray for me. Never. Not morning, not noon, not night does he stop praying for you as a Christian. He ever lives to make intercession. No high priest, no physical high priest could ever uh, do that. So that's spoken of in Romans and then also in the book of of, uh, Hebrews. So all of these garments were intended to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah, the coming uh, of of Jesus. And uh, so as we read of each of these garments, we want to see three things. Number one, how they related to the, f- the physical high priest, to Aaron here. And then number two, their fulfillment in Jesus, how they were a type of Jesus. And then number three, how they apply to us because Jesus continues to live his life through us. And so they have an application to our lives uh, also. So we pick things up now in uh, chapter 28, verse 1, as he introduces now the garments for the priesthood. Now, take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that they may minister to me as priest. Aaron and his sons, and he names the four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So these were going to be the high priest and then, and then the, the priest. An interesting phrase there in verse 1 where he says that he may minister to me as priest. That he may minister to me is a phrase that's going to be repeated four times in the chapter. Verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, verse 41. So God appears to be making a point through all of this. And I think surely it speaks of the fact that all uh, ministry that we do for the Lord has to come out of this, that we are doing it as unto him. No matter what we do in our service to the Lord, sometimes people quit serving the Lord because it gets hard or it's thankless, nobody appreciates all that I do, (laughs) then we better not do it for those reasons. Uh, The Lord's going to call every single one of us in the ministry that He calls us to, to do things that we would never do for another person or ever do for a group of people, but we will do it for Him because of who He is and because of what He has done in our lives. I don't think that anyone has any hope of longevity in their service to the Lord that doesn't operate under that motivation. I do this for Him. Otherwise, everybody is is going to uh, quit. As a Paul, he did his ministry as unto the, the Lord. Then he, he began uh, so many of his letters. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Right? A bond slave of Jesus Christ. This is what I'm all about. What I'm all about is doing this for the Lord. He saved me. He can spend his life, my life, any way that he wants to spend my life. I do it for people, but I don't do it supremely for people. You know, look what he went through. I mean, come on. Because one tough guy, testimony to the Holy Spirit. But, but that was his motivation, and it needs to be our motivation too. We do this to minister supremely to the Lord. So, and you shall uh, make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and these holy garments are to be for glory 
and for beauty. These garments that Aaron is going to wear are going to, is going to distinguish him from even the other priests, going to distinguish him even among God's people as, uh, you know, extraordinarily uh, holy. It differentiates, uh, would differentiate them in a physical way. Now, for us in our ministries today as Christians, God doesn't like give us a, a, a little outfit to wear that differentiates us from everyone in the world. I, I spent a, uh, it was at least a year we were in one foster home and they put us in a parochial school God bless those nuns they're rough um, they're, they're rough but boy my twin brother and I what headaches we caused them but they had us in those little corduroys and little white shirts and everything like that I think maybe the idea was that somehow it would tame the inner beast that uh, all of us were and, and all but he, God doesn't give us some kind of an outward outfit that identifies us at, and makes us different from the rest of the world as, as priests, we're priests as Christians we're a kingdom of priests the Bible teaches the thing that makes us different is, different is the presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives now that makes us different and not, and not just in a physical way in terms of how we carry ourselves, but it makes us different in a spiritual way, different in our thinking, different in every way, different in a deeper way than Aaron could have ever thought of. And, uh, so, and it makes us different in a way that looks like Christ, because the Holy Spirit will always work to make us like Christ. So these, were, uh, the, the, these garments were being given to Aaron. He was going to be clothed in them for the purpose of glory uh, and for uh, honor. It was something beautiful. I mean, when you, as we read through this in just a moment, I know we're talking about what we're going to get to so much here. Uh, we may never get to it. But uh, when, we, when we read the garments that are made and the garments that Aaron wears, physically stunning. The colors, the quality of the fabric, the gold, I mean, just uh, astonishingly beautiful. So it was just communicating the glory and the beauty of the priesthood. It was a really big deal to be a priest under this old covenant. To look and say, I have the privilege and the responsibility to represent God before this world and to represent this world to God in prayer. And there was an awe. It was recognized. This is a beautiful life. This is a glorious life. And it's the same life that God has called us to, even on a higher level in Christ. And so you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans. So that leaves me out. You wouldn't want me making anything uh, for anyone to, to wear. You shall speak to all who are gifted artisans among the children of Israel, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. These garments are going to be made by people who were very, very skilled. They were really artists in putting together uh, clothing, putting together jewelry, as we're going to see uh, next week. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so, but God had, he had anointed them for this, this very, uh, very thing. Not everybody could do that, but these people could do that, and it was a gift from God. It's interesting that when, uh, to notice that when God was going to build the tabernacle, when he was going to clothe uh, the priests and all, that when they were done, it was beautiful. Beautiful. The materials that he used, just be- they were nice. They were just the highest quality. Uh, it, it, everything that was going to be done, God wanted it to be done very, very well. 
So no ministry or service that's done for God in the name of the Lord should be done poorly or sloppily. They said of Jesus in terms of, uh, of everything that he did, they said he has done all things well. And sometimes I think we have to be careful here as, as Christians. And I'm all, I'm all for stewardship. And, but sometimes we can think that something ought to be, you know, falling apart at the seams or nothing that's associated with Christ should look nice. I think there's a line you cross over where it's like if you, if you coat the walls with gold plating or something in a church, you think, you know, we could probably spend the money a little bit better for the kingdom than that. So there is a line where it gets ridiculous and it isn't good stewardship. But we have to be careful to, to, to realize that Lord, the Lord doesn't mind something looking right, doesn't mind it looking clean and proper and like someone cares about it. He doesn't like sloppy ministry. Nobody likes sloppy work. Why would God want sloppy work uh, too? So uh, no ministry should be done uh, that way and, and, uh, or, or doing as little as possible to kind of to make it happen. This was to really look sharp and God had raised up people uh, to have it be so. And these are the garments that they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. And so they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that they may minister to me as priests. And they shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and uh, the fine linen. So these, the same, these garments, many of them are going to be made out of the same materials that were used to make the tabernacle. We saw that the tabernacle was a picture uh, of Jesus and, uh, and the colors that were used, a picture. They spoke of Jesus. This is the same thing in the clothing or the, the uh, threads that are going to be used to make the fabrics. You see the gold that again speaks of deity, of the fact that Jesus is divine, the Son of God. Blue speaks, uh, it's the uh, color of the sky, speaks of His heavenly origin. Purple, color of royalty, speaks of him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The scarlet thread speaks of his sacrifice for us uh, upon uh, the cross. The fine linen, fine linen was always white in, in the scriptures. And so, um, or as white as you could get things in those days. And so it spoke of Jesus' uh, holiness or of his purity. And he begins now by describing the ephod. And they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen artistically worked. And so this was, those were to be the materials that it was to be made of. Now he describes its design. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. Okay, so what we've got here, do we have a picture of that? Was that picture up there a minute ago? No, no picture on that. All right, so you're left up to my descriptions. Well, the, the ephod here was basically, we would call it kind of a vest. And uh, so it was two pieces of clothing, I mean a piece of cloth on the front and on the back. It was tied with a sash or kind of a belt at the bottom. And then there were chains that joined it, golden chains as we'll see in just a moment, uh, from uh, across the top. So it was kind of a small vest that fit in in this uh, area. They were also then 
in making that ephod in terms of the construction of it. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, six on the other stone in the order of their birth. And so the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were to be engraved uh, on these two stones, six on each stone. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engraving of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel and you shall set them in settings of gold. So the names engraved on the onyx stones, the onyx stones were then set in a setting of, uh, of gold. And you shall put the two stones, and here's the significance of it, on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. And so here you have the ephod, you have kind of the chains that go up, then you have the, the gold setting with, with the onyx stones sitting on the shoulders. They sat right here in terms of the ephod on the priest. And here's, uh, here's what it represented. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial in his office as, as the high priest. Uh, that, that's what he would do. And so you shall make settings of gold. You shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. Now what it represented related to Aaron as the high priest is that, as God said, he shall bear the names of the children of Israel before the Lord. And so this spoke of him as he would have those two stones on his shoulders, the names of the children of Israel on it, that everything he was doing was kind of an intercession for the rest of the nation. And so he was carrying them kind of spiritually upon his shoulders. Now, it's fulfillment, uh, carrying them spiritually uh, through intercession. It's fulfillment in Jesus as our, as our high uh, priest. All a type uh, of him is that Jesus, we're told, ever lives again to make intercession uh, for us, to represent us before the Father in prayer uh, Hebrews 7.25 again, Therefore he, that is Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for us. Additionally, just as Aaron carried, I mean, he, could he carry 12 tribes on his shoulders? No, he could carry their names etched on a stone. But Jesus, the fulfillment of this whole thing, he is able to carry his people on his shoulders. Why, how, do you, how else do you make it through a day? Or do I make it through a day? Except that he carries us. And he will be faithful to carry us right into the glory of heaven. One of my favorite verses is Jude chapter 24. Uh, verse, uh, chapter, there's only one chapter. Verse 24. And it declares, Now, speaking of Jesus, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory, that is the Father's glory, with exceeding joy. So this ephod spoke of and speaks of the fact that Jesus is our high priest. He carries us through this life. And one of the ways that He carries us is through His constant intercession uh, for us. Now how does Jesus uh, want to manifest these things through us as Christians since he is operating uh, through our lives. We're a kingdom of priests. And I think it is that we should be a people of prayer. 
We should be a people of intercession for the rest of, of the body of Christ, for God's people in, in this world. And I think that the Lord has already set us up for that. When you think about the Lord's Prayer, it's called the Lord's Prayer, but he couldn't really pray it because it talks about the forgiveness of sin. But it's the Our Father, which art in heaven. All the pronouns in that prayer are plural pronouns. So he's even encouraged us in our office as priests every day when we pray, uh, if we use that as a model, we are engaging in, in kind of the ministry of priest Jesus is through us through prayer. Now he moves on to the breastplate. And you shall make the breastplate of judgment. So that's the name of it, the breastplate of judgment artistically woven to the workmanship of the ephod. So the breastplate is going to be attached to the ephod, which is this vest. You shall make it. It's going to be made of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine woven linen. You shall make it. And it shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. And a span in those days was the distance from the end of your little finger to the end of your thumb. For most people about nine inches or so. And so it was like a nine inch square. It would be nine by eighteen but you would fold it over because it was going to be made into a pocket. And so when it was put on the face of the ephod, it, it was nine by nine inches with a little pocket in the top uh, to put something in. Don't want to give away what that is here. I want to keep some suspense in the room. Okay, edge of your seat. All right. I just love this. You guys are great. Thanks for loving the Word of God, by the way. Thanks for loving the Lord, wanting to know His Word. So it's going to be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. And you shall, set, you shall put settings of stones on it, uh, four rows of stones. So he's going to get 12 stones on the face of that. So they're not terribly large, but uh, so that they can fit them all on that size, a nine by nine uh, piece of cloth. You shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stone. The first row shall be a sardis stone, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. Third row, a jacinth, uh, uh, an agate and an amethyst, the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx and a jasper, they shall be set in gold settings. And the stone shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. So each one of those stones there, the twelve stones, each one of them had a name of one of the tribes of Israel. He likens his people to a very precious stone. And, and why does he do it? Because we're valuable to him. He treasures us. That's how he views us as his people uh, in, in this world. I love it. Again, in the New Testament, as, you, as we take all this into the New Testament, in, in a, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul declares of us as Christians that we are his workmanship. And the word workmanship means a poema, a work of art. Every single one of us, God is making into a very unique expression of the beauty of God in this world. Now, He'll express Himself differently through you than He will me and vice versa. But, but again, the, God, the investment of God in His people and how He values uh, His his people. So He likens them to these precious stones. And you shall make chains 
for the breastplate at the end like braided cords of gold and you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the ends of the breastplate and then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate and the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them in the sho- on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold, put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. The two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. I love God. I mean the detail. He just wants to make sure that that breastplate is attached to the ephod in the right way. So it's not all crooked and everything. And it's got to be a certain way and a right and attached just right and the whole thing. And he's not leaving anything to chance. And he tells them right down to the, you know, nth degree on the deal. God, I mean, I love his detail. We wonder if, sometimes we were, God, do you even know what's going on in my life? (laughs) I know how much dirt's under your toenails. He knows everything about us. But I I just love this about God. I mean, he's a God of order and decent in an order. And so all of this was to be right. The translation of this is that the breastplate was to sit on the face of the ephod. The high priest wore it right here in this place over his heart which is the whole, the whole reason behind it. Notice what he says in verse 29. And so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And so at what this breastplate represented concerning Aaron was that whenever he went into the holy place to minister, he bore the names of Israel on that breastplate. They were over his heart. Our heart is a place of affection, isn't it? So the high priest was to have a great love for the people that he was representing before the Father, have great affection for God's people, the people that he was serving. It's fulfillment in Jesus as our high priest as he serves us, as he intercedes for us, as he carries us through life, the ephod, he does it because he loves us. He does it because he loves us. We're close to his heart. And he cares about us. And, and that's what it represents related to Jesus. Jesus could take and carry us through life, deliver us into heaven, and not particularly care for us. God could do that. I'll save you, but man, don't ever think I liked it. But he doesn't. I'll save you. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to deliver you into heaven because I love you. Never take the love of God for granted. 
and never minimize the greatness of the love for you. So many people, Christians, they doubt the love of God. They understand the verses, they believe it in a theological sense, but to really stop and to think that the true and the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, really, really loves me doesn't sink in more than a quarter of an inch. Listen, let it sink in another quarter inch in your life tonight. He loves you. He loves his people. And, and he carries us over uh, over his uh, heart. And he's demonstrated his love, of course, on the cross of, of, of Calvary. Now, in terms of how this applies to us as, as, as New Testament priests, we're to love God's people. I know we, we all have the spots and the wrinkles in the body of Christ and the bride of Christ and all these things, but we're to love the body of Christ. We're to love the body of Christ. And, and we are to love the people that we're serving. That's what that breastplate was intended to minister to the high priest. Jesus didn't need it to minister to him because it was all about him. A love that inexpressible, right? Verse 30, and you shall put, as he moves on to the third article here, you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the urim and the thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. And so Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. So remember we talked about there being a little pocket at the top of the breastplate. Why would he leave a little opening for a pocket? In order to put the Urim and the Thummim inside of the pocket of, of the breastplate. Now... Whatever the, this Urim and the Thummim was, and nobody has any great clarity on what they are, except the one thing we do know is that it was a means by which God revealed His will. Uh, he revealed His judgment. He would judge certain situations, make His will known in certain situations through the Urim and the Thummim. That's why the breastplate was called the breastplate of judgment, not because of the stones, but because it contained the Urim and the Thummim. And what would happen, how it would work, we, we don't really know. The use of uh, the priest using the Urim and the Thummim is a way to understand God's will. Kind of faded out scripturally at the time of the prophets, beginning with Samuel. But until that particular time, somehow God used those two stones to communicate to the high priest his will related to certain things that weren't specifically addressed um, in the scriptures. Of course, today we have the Holy Spirit uh, related to that. Now, we don't know just how God revealed his will uh, through them. I don't think it's unlikely that uh, one stone was perhaps a white stone, the other stone was perhaps a black stone, and, and one stone represented a positive answer, the other a negative answer and all. And so as they would say, God, what are we supposed, are we supposed to go right here and, and this? Are we supposed to go forward uh, here in this situation, reach into the breastplate of judgment, and then based upon trusting God to lead in the pulling out of the stone, then uh, understand what God's will was um, in, in the situation. And so that's how God, God used them and that's what these stones were all about. They mean, uh, Urim means lights and Thummim means perfections. And so you can't find two words to better describe the will of God than that, can you? Lights and perfections. So His will uh, always leads us into light, always leads us into revelation, closer to Him, and then it's always perfect. Now, 
um, these as they were placed uh, there, as I said, uh, in the pocket of the, the breastplate, and here's what it represented. Concerning Aaron, uh, the high priest was to be the one man the children of Israel could go to to receive revelation from God uh, concerning his will, which was always light and always perfect. The fulfillment of the Urim and the Thummim in Jesus is that Jesus provided a revelation of the Father and His will way beyond yes and no. I mean, again, He said to Philip, Philip, uh, you know, have I been with you so long that you don't know? He who has seen me has seen the Father. I mean, you know what the Father is like. You know what the will of God is like. I mean, what you've received in terms of a, of a revelation from me way beyond uh, yes and, and no. In the book of Hebrews, describing, I think, speaking very much of this whole thing, Jesus is described as being the brightness of His, that is, the Father's glory and the express image of His uh, person. When Jesus spoke to the religious leaders of His day, the scribes and the Pharisees, He said to them concerning the Queen of Sheba, For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and a greater than Solomon is uh, here. The Holy Spirit, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, declared of Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And so Jesus is uh, Urim and Thummim times a million, you know, in terms of being a revelation of the will and the purposes of the Father. Then in verse 31, uh, you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. So here now is a, a robe. Uh, that is, is to be underneath the ephod. It's to be made all of blue. So the ephod was a vest, right? Now this robe was a robe, sleeveless robe, and it would kind of go just a little bit below the knees. And, and it was all, uh, all to be all of blue, again speaking of Jesus' uh, heavenly uh, origin. The priest needed to be familiar with the things of heaven. Who is more familiar with the things of heaven than the true high priest, Jesus, right? So the, the robe of the ephod was to be all of blue, and there shall be an opening for the head in the middle of it. So picture kind of a poncho, a little bit long poncho. And it shall be a woven, have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates uh, of blue, purple, and scarlet. Again, the colors of, of Jesus and his ministry. Uh, all around its hem, make these cloth pomegranates. And then uh, bells of gold between them all around a golden bell and a pomegranate a golden bell and a pomegranate I love God <laughs> don't take anything for granted now listen if you've ever put a swing set together or something with bad instructions you understand how important this is to us I just put together listen just to let you know how hard life is for me I put together this little bench thing for my backyard you sit in it you know and so so when Whenever the weather gets below 100 degrees, I'll be able to use it. But anyway, it's in my backyard. The worst... Okay. It, I don't, should I name the company? But anyway, uh, this company is like supposed to be really good at what it does. Worst instructions I've ever read. Only thing harder I ever put together was a swing set for the girls back in Napa, which was like, what in the world? We just put that... I had to take apart 
all, half of it apart again and put it back together because the dumbest... Okay, we don't need to go there. Do we, you all understand on some level? Okay, so it's a pomegranate and a bell. And a pomegranate and a bell. <laughs> God knows who He's working with. And, and it's to be upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers. And its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. So one of the purposes of the bells at the base of of this particular robe of the ephod is that it made noise. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest and the, 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 the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, represented the presence of God. No one went in that room except the high priest, and he only went in there one day out of the whole year. He'd go inside there. And I mean, you're walking into holiness like, we'll, well, we've got the holiness living in us by the Holy Spirit. One day we'll be in that kind of fullness in, in heaven and all. So if the high priest had you know, known sin in his life or something like that, he could kind of be smitten dead in there. So if they stopped hearing bells, uh, that wasn't a good sign. They liked to keep hearing the bells. And uh, so it was a sign that he'd been smitten in there. Later on, they started putting a, a rope around the high priest's legs so that if they, I guess they had a bad stretch. <laughs> uh, lost a few high priests. But they, so what are you going to do? That guy got smitten in there. He's the high priest, and he wasn't holy enough, and I'm going to go in and drag him out? No, thank you. I'm going to go get a nice bowl of pasta and, uh, and have some tiramisu and call it a day. All right? No way I'm going to go in there. So they, they put a rope on there and then would drag them uh, out on, on things. The beautiful is you look at the pomegranate and, uh, and then the bell uh, on things. The pomegranate, one of the se- uh, symbols of Israel, one of the seven fruits that's a symbol of Israel. If you go to Israel today and you go into some of the ceramic shops and different things, uh, oftentimes you'll see a lot of different artwork that has the seven different fruits uh, in, I think it's in Deuteronomy that lists them uh, that represent Israel. And the pomegranate is one of them. So it speaks of fruitfulness. In other words, the priest was one who should be fruitful in, in his ministry. The bells, uh, the golden bell, spoke of testimony. In other words, he should be heard. He should be testifying uh, to God. He shouldn't be quiet. He should speak up and speak of the beauty of God. Gold representing the deity and all. So it represented the high priest was to be fruitful and he was to testify. So that's what, uh, how it applies to Aaron. In terms of the application uh, to Jesus uh, regarding the pomegranates and the fruitfulness and, and the things of the Lord, Jesus is a high priest who is not only fruitful, but he's the source of all spiritual fruit. Uh, he is the vine, we are the branches. And uh, as we abide in Him, then, then we have fruit. He's way more than fruitful. He is the source of fruit uh, in the Christian life in terms of ringing out for God, always testifying uh, to God. Jesus spoke to, uh, again to Philip and He said, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in Me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak in My own authority, but the Father who dwells in Me does the work. He testified. He spoke for uh, God. In John chapter 12, Jesus declared, For I have not spoken on My own authority, but the Father who sent Me gave Me a command 
What should I say and what I, sh- what I should say and what I should speak? And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And so Jesus, fruitful, beyond fruitful in, in terms of the Lord. Look, the, you're, you're the fruit in the room here. How many of us know the Lord here? 2,000 years in human history. How many millions, billions of lives been affected? And then his faithfulness to testify uh, to the Lord. And so as it, uh, as it relates to us and how it applies to our lives, our lives are to be fruitful as, as Christians and as priests, always ringing out and uh, testifying to the Lord. Then he goes on and he speaks about the next piece, the fifth piece of, of the articles of clothing. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet uh, or kind of a seal, holiness to the Lord. So golden plate, pure gold, was to be fashioned and then engraved on that golden plate these words, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban, it shall be on the front of the turban. We'll get to the turban in just a few minutes. And so it shall be on Aaron's forehead. This is the turban would be there and the gold plate would sit on the turban that would be low on his forehead. It would sit right in front of his mind, right in front of his, his forehead. That Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow and all of their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And so this kind of uh, little crown uh, and all that was was placed uh, before him. Concerning Aaron, uh, what it spoke to Aaron as the high priest was just a confident, uh, a constant emphasis upon the holiness of the God that he was serving. It was always to be at the forefront of his mind the God that I am representing before these people, not just before the world, but before God's people, is a holy God. And so that constant expression of the holiness of God, the need for God's people uh, to be holy. And we need that. I tell you, we need that today. We need it in the body of Christ. We need it in leaders to constantly have at the forefront of our minds the holiness of of our God. We are never going to reach this world by becoming like it. It is not going to happen. It's never happened that way. It's just heads off. We just, whoever, whatever part of the body of Christ decides to do that just ultimately gets absorbed by the world. We're supposed to be different in the world. You know, and I don't think, some of you have been around here for a long time, I don't think I ever pound people in any kind of an ungracious way. You know, you better be holy. And if you aren't holy, I'll tell you. It isn't because I'm above doing that. It isn't because I'm above pounding people. I just, I just don't believe in it. I don't believe holiness for us as a Christian is something we have to be. It's a privilege. <laughs> I mean, once you've lived in the world a little bit, once you've been in bondage to sin a little bit, once you understand even if you come to know the Lord early in your life, you have a sense for the strength of your own flesh, where it would take you in life and how it would destroy you, and then you look at this holy life that God calls us to and the beauty of the life that unfolds to that. You don't, you don't have to uh, force people into holiness when they understand a little bit 
bit about that. They look and say, I understand it's a privilege. I want to be holy. So as to be at the forefront of, of their minds, the leaders must never drop the standard related to holiness. Not then, not now. Now, it's fulfillment in Jesus as, as our high priest. Jesus not only had the holiness of, of the Lord, of the Father, at the forefront of his mind, as he is a high priest, shared in the same holiness. <laughs> Just as holy uh, as, as, the, as the Father. And so he could no more forget you know, the holiness of the Father than forget himself. Hebrews chapter 7. For such a high priest, speaking of Jesus, was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as these, uh, those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which comes after the law appoints the Son, speaking of Jesus, who has been perfected forever. So, uh, so regarding uh, uh, Aaron here, and it talks about him bearing the iniquity of, of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow and all their, uh, their holy gifts. That meaning of the phrase there, bear the iniquity, it seems to it, it speak about the holy gifts of the people. The gifts that God, God's people were giving to God would only be acceptable if they were preserved presented through the mediation of, of a high priest or a holy high priest. And, and so it symbolized the coming work of Jesus, who as our high priest has made a way for our worship to enter into the presence of God. Now, now we, st- we spoke a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning about uh, prayer. And uh, um, it, it, for, for us as Christians, asking, seeking, knocking, you know, the promises and the great encouragement to prayer. One of the brothers came to me after the first service, and I had kind of ended it a certain way. And I always try to end the sermons with an invitation to people that don't know the Lord. I mean, I just, I can't go home and rest if, if I haven't shared the gospel. Somebody comes in, they sit, and they go, then they leave and they say, well, I guess you get to heaven by listening to sermons. I don't want them to come to that conclusion. It's much easier than that. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, I like to share the gospel and all. So I had shared it a certain way and everything, and he had a better idea, and it was actually a better idea. And, uh, but he, he came up and he said, listen, I just got to hear it from somebody else. Uh, he said, when, a, when somebody who, who doesn't know the Lord, is not a Christian, prays uh, to God, what happens to their prayer? That's what he's asking me. I said, well, it goes nowhere. It bounces around the room and goes nowhere because there's no mediator there's no high if if i can have a relationship with god pray to him talk with him engage in a relationship with him and and not have put my faith in christ why did he die on the cross if there's a if there's an end around game on this whole thing then why in the world did he you know bother no no before i come to know the lord when I take and pray and I say, I'm not going to come to you through Jesus. I'm going to come to you on my own terms. That prayer hits the roof, comes back down, heads out to wherever sound goes in the universe, does nothing. Does nothing. Doesn't get to the throne of God. 
He said, you know, if you tell people that, that makes them really angry. I said, I know. It makes them very angry. They really get mad. What do you mean? I pray and I said, no. Just, it, it hits that, depending on where you are. It's just like a pong game, you know. It hits that corner, and if it's a real tight by the corner, it bings and bing, 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 and then it just gets absorbed out there, and some Martian hears it out there somewhere that can translate these kind of things. That's as far as it's going. You've got to have a high priest. You have to have a high priest in, in order uh, for that, uh, for that to, to, to get through that, that allows... Jesus is the one that's allowed our worship to enter into the, the presence of, of the Father. Now, uh, how Jesus manifested these things uh, as, it, as it relates here to the engraved plate and the holiness and all, how he wants to manifest that uh, through us as Christians is we're never to lose sight of the fact that we represent a holy God in this world and that we can only properly represent a holy God by being holy. Now that's like uh, holiness 101. It's not like the dumb statement to, to start things, you know, the opening statement. You can only represent a holy God by being holy. But you tell me uh, how seriously that's taken. And that's why the, the Peter writes in his epistle, but he who has called, as he who has called you is holy, you also must be holy in your conduct because it is written, be holy, God says, for I am holy. Now, very, very fascinating. You know, with this whole thing on all the types related to all this stuff, you know, some of you, I, I lost you uh, 40 minutes ago on this thing. I said, man, when's he going to get to the New Testament? That's really... <laughs> Not in your lifetime, probably. <laughs> so, but, but uh, you can go so deep in the typology. You really want to tear into the thing? The, the, the guy's last name is Soltau, S-O-L-T-O-U or A-U. And I think we probably have the books up in the library there, too. Just the, the, the imagery to tear into all this, you could, spend, you could spend two years going through the imagery of how this uh, speaks of Christ. And just tremendous. So a lot of people get very fanciful. I don't really care for, for they read all kinds of things into all kinds of things that aren't there. Soltau's very careful. And uh, so uh, I can recommend him. But, but very, very important, I, I think. That signet or that seal holiness uh, to the Lord as it was attached to the turban uh, of, of the high priest there, as it was attached to that turban, it represented an imputed holiness. It represented an imputed righteousness to the priest that allowed him to be a sinner and yet serve a holy God. So that little plate right there, that was an imputed righteousness. When God looked at him, he saw that holiness. And he didn't see the, high, he didn't see the priest's uh, unholiness. And as Christians, it's only Jesus' imputed righteousness that allows us to serve him as a, as a priest uh, in this uh, world. Now he, he moves on here, and he talks about uh, the linen tunic. Uh, you shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. And so this was a, uh, a long linen coat that was worn under the blue robe. Now you remember the blue robe was sleeveless? That's, you've got to move the camera to do that, don't you? I don't like that. So you remember that, um, that 
The blue robe went just right down to about here, and it was sleeveless. So now you got the linen, this white linen robe. It went all the way down to the feet, so you would see it underneath the blue, uh, blue, uh, blue robe. Now, it was to be skillfully woven, he said, a fine linen thread. Here's what it represented. On Aaron, that ancient uh, high priest, it symbolized, once again, because of white, uh, the, the, the color of it symbolized holiness or purity. And what it spoke of related to the high priest was the importance of holiness and purity in his life. Not just an imputed holiness or righteousness to his life where a Christian would say, well, when Jesus looks at me, he's, or God looks at me, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And so, but I live like the devil all through the week. God doesn't buy that game at all. So here is an imputed righteousness and holiness where God looks at the high priest and sees this imputed holiness but it's not an excuse for a priest not to live holy and, and so that's what it represented that the high priest was have to, to have a personal holiness the interesting thing is is that this white robe was way down underneath everything else in other words in any priest, you ought to be able to go all the way, not what they give appearances to be here and there, but if you would dig into their life all the way down into the deepest part of their life, you would find holiness. That's what it's communicating about a priest. And it was to be true of, of Aaron the high priest, was to be true, it's to be true of us as, as Christians. Now what just people see us at school or at work or at church or these different places, but if they really had a chance to know us all the way down to our skin, that they, they would discover holiness at our core as, as Christians. Of course, the, the greatest fulfillment of it is, is in Jesus as our high priest because he's perfectly sinless perfectly sinless Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day he said which of you convicts me of sin and then there's like this long silence we don't know how long it went but nobody could break the silence because he was sinless and, and then he spoke to him and said if I tell you the truth then why won't you believe what I say to you so Jesus, perfect fulfillment of this, this linen uh, uh, robe and, and holiness. Then he moves on and talks about, you shall make the turban of fine linen. This talks about the hat that that holiness plaque was going to kind of be on, the golden uh, kind of crown or w whatever it might be. So you think about a turban. Now we know what turbans uh, look like for the, you know, the most part today. The world's become very small culturally. So, uh, but you imagine this uh, beautiful white kind of turban with a gold uh, plaque on, on uh, the front. So kind of like a chef's hat, only in layers and all. Interesting in verse 40 that uh, we're going to be told that Aaron's sons were to also wear a turban and the reason why they were to wear it for glory and for beauty. So here's what it represented. Concerning Aaron, uh, again, as, as God's emphasizing it over and over again, the white linen spoke of holiness and uh, because the turban was given for glory and for beauty. It was to communicate to everyone who watched the high priest perform his duties. It was to communicate the glory and the beauty of holiness. You know that phrase, the beauty of holiness, is repeated four times 
in the scriptures. The beauty of holiness, the beauty of holiness, the beauty of holiness, the beauty of holiness. And you know why the Bible speaks of it? Because holiness is beautiful. It's a beautiful life. It's unholiness that isn't beautiful, unchristlikeness that isn't beautiful. And so as people would watch their life, as they would see not only how they were adorned, but just see the quality of their life and their service to the Lord, they would come to the conclusion that that is a beautiful way to live. That's a, a, a glorious way uh, to live. It's fulfillment, of course, in, in Jesus. He lived the most beautiful life that anyone has ever lived, perfectly uh, Holy. In fact, as he was teaching up in the Galilee, the northern part of Israel, during his public ministry, he came to the area of, of Nazareth and all the people knew him from where he was growing up and all. And as he taught in their synagogue, they were astonished and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, this not, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, uh, Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not with us? Where did this man get all these things? They saw the glory and they saw the beauty of, of his, uh, his life. I, I love it. I love the whole Bible. Everything's my favorite verse depending on what point I'm making. <laughs> but uh, when, they, when the religious leaders sent their guards to go and arrest uh, Jesus, they came back empty and the religious leaders said, why didn't you bring him? And they said, no man ever spoke like that man. You, have you ever heard this man teach? You ever seen his life? You ever been in his presence and all? You don't arrest someone like that and bring him back. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. The beauty of, of holiness. And, and so, same thing with our lives. God wants to demonstrate the beauty of holiness in an unholy world uh, through us. Privilege to live a holy life. Then also, and finally, related to all of this, there is the sash. Verse 39 there, they shall also make a sash of woven work. And a sash was just a wide belt, cloth belt, that was around the waist and what it represented concerning Aaron. The purpose of the sash was, was that as the priest would be working and all, the cloth belt that tied around in the front kept everything from getting uh, loose and unhinged and tangled up and, and messed up so he couldn't do his work. The, the sash of the belt allowed him to serve without distraction. And, and so that's what uh, it, it re represented. It always uh, reminded the priest that he was also a servant. He wasn't just some big shot with a big name and better than anybody else. He was a servant. That's why he had been given that position to serve God and to serve people. Of course, the imagery related to Jesus, the ultimate servant. He said he didn't come into the world to be served. Um, uh, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, the ultimate uh, servant. And the same thing is true of us. This call in the Christian life is a call into service. It's a call into hard work. And there's that recognition that, that we're not some kind of a big shot or anything like this. Whatever position God gives us, it's just so that we can do some work in that particular position. And then for Aaron's sons, now we move from the high priest to just the 
regular priests. You shall make tunics, which we've already spoken about. You shall make sashes for them. You shall make hats for them, uh, which is, again, the turbans. I use a different word here, hats, so that uh, their turban is different than the high priest's uh, turban. And, and it was for glory and for beauty. And so you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. In other words, make all these things, but then ultimately clothe them with them. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers uh, to cover their nakedness, and they shall reach from the waist to the thighs. Very, very interesting. I'll have you out of here in just a couple minutes, but very fascinating on this. He, he tells them that, and they're going to, again, being a priest was hard, hard work. Those sacrifices, being a butcher in those days, all those things, the wood, the fuel, the, I mean, wow. They, they retired like at 50. God retired them out at that age. And uh, so, I mean, I'd be getting some kind of a check or something at this point on the thing. The deal it was a lot harder physically than what I do. So, but that, that was very, very demanding kind of work that they did. So they're moving around and everything. Remember, God's bringing them into a land that's just filled with paganism, immorality, bestiality, every kind of ality and, and sick perversion of mankind. And, and, and it wasn't like, yeah, we're going to head down to this club and do this thing and this. All of it was associated with religion. It was all legitimized by pagan religion. So we're doing this in the name of, of worshiping God as if that could, could make it right. So you had tremendous immorality going on centered on, on the worship of these pagan gods in those days. God says, listen, you're going into that kind of a land and I want you to work and all, and I want you to be so separated from their immorality, their immoral dress, how they carry themselves. I want you to have trousers that you wear from your knee to your waist so that nothing would even accidentally be exposed as you represent me to this world. And I think it's a good thing for us. I don't care if you're a woman. I don't care if you're a man. We are, we are set in a very immoral culture and how it carries itself, how it represents itself. We are to be different than the world in this way. A priest is to not only say, well, what can I you know, wear and look like and how close to you know, all the pagan gods that are worshipped in the culture can I be like this and still get into heaven? Here's God taking and saying, you be several steps back from that. You're representing me as a priest in this world. And, and, it, and it's beautiful. And it speaks not only to, to you know, 3,500 years ago, speaks just as, as necessarily today. And they shall be on Aaron, on his sons, when they come into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they shall not incur iniquity and die. So it's life and death importance that they... Uh, that they were they were chaste and holy and and moral and and modest and 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 they're representing him as a priest and it shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Now, chapter 29. Just kidding. <laughs> just giving some of you a heart attack, but uh, we'll stop there uh, and we'll pick things up in chapter 29 next time. Let's stand together. If the